Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Sunday, April 14th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk with Brad Oman, who is at Star Wars Celebration 2019. And we're going to find out about Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. He saw the trailer in the presentation. He saw uh, the new Hasbro toys. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge had a presentation. Uh, they unveiled uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. They had that VR Vader Immortal experience. And of course, what probably everybody is looking to hear, The Mandalorian, the live action TV series coming to Disney+. Plus. So we have a we have a jam-packed episode of this podcast filled with Star Wars goodness. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Sroda, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Elman. Hey, that's me. So this is, um, I just did the count before we started recording. This is the 13th episode that we've recorded this month, and it's only four, and we're only 14 days into the month. So we've almost given everybody, on average, one episode a day. Uh, you know, including weekends. So I'm not sure if we're going to be recording an episode tomorrow on Monday. Uh, we might take a day off from the podcast then. But we, we have a lot to talk to you about, Brad. I guess let's start off at the beginning. The rise of Skywalker. Uh, the, you, you were at the presentation. What was it like to be at Star Wars Celebration? You're in Chicago. You're in the room. What was the What was the vibe? Yeah, I mean the excitement is is was high here at Star Wars Celebration, as you can guess. I mean, uh, everyone there was just pumped, waiting to hear anything that they could uh, from the movie. Uh, everyone assumed that we were getting a title. Everyone assumed that we were seeing the first trailer. Obviously, those assumptions were correct. Um, but you know, every little kind of detail that was talked about during the panel, like you could just hear fans like hanging, you know, and like getting excited when they heard just the slightest bit. Of you know what's going on with Ray, what's going on with Finn and Poe and Kylo and all this stuff, and like every time they showed a new photo from the production on on screen during the panel, there were like gasps and cheers, and the the, the energy here is just so incredible. It it really is has the the same kind of exciting feel that when you're at Comic Con and they're unveiling stuff for the first time, uh, and everyone here is just so in love with Star Wars that it's just yeah, it it feels great. And even watching the trailer for the first time with that group group of people is such an experience because they they clap when Ray flips over, you know, that TIE fighter and they, uh, you know, everyone lost their shit when you hear Emperor Palpatine's laugh at the very end of the trailer. And so it's just, it's great to experience that with such a huge group of people who are all seeing it for the first time. That, that's my, that's one of the questions I wanted to have to, to you is in the, at the end of that trailer, we get the, re, you know, that laugh the Emperor Palpatine laugh. And I know we recorded a you know 15-minute podcast talking about that trailer and about that laugh. Chris was really down on on you know the prospect of Emperor Palpatine coming back for this final film. What is what has been the reaction there from fans? fans immediate immediate reaction was was shock. You could hear the gasps, you could hear people go, What? when you hear the laugh. Uh, and then people went even crazier when Ian McDiarmid appeared after the trailer 
had played. And all, literally all that happened is he he was like standing there and on the middle of the stage and they shined a spotlight on him and he just stood there with a microphone and in his Emperor Palpatine voice he said run it again and people just lo- lost it uh, so it's there's there's excitement for sure and I, I think that despite because I I'm kind I'm partly with Chris on this where I'm I'm not really sure how I feel about a character like the Emperor coming back it felt like this trilogy was going in a, a far more interesting direction without going back. Uh, and relying on stuff that had already happened in the past. But at the same time, I do understand and appreciate the idea of the Emperor having a hand in all of this in some way that we didn't know about because he's integral to what happens in the first two trilogies. So as long as there's some kind of satisfying explanation for his return, and keep in mind we don't necessarily know in what form he's returning, whether he's like weak or if he's strong and has been puppeteering and just waiting for his like time to reveal himself again or, or anything like that. So I, I, just the prospect I think is intriguing, but also somewhat concerning to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, and some fans are just like, they, they want, they're just wondering, you know, exa- uh, all fans really exactly where he's been, what he's, his role in all of this is. So it's, uh, it's interesting to say the least. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to to find out how people are going to react once we find out more about this. But we should move on because we've talked enough about the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Let's talk about Vader Immortal. This is the uh, VR experience coming from ILM X Lab. They've done stuff like they partnered with the Void on the Secrets of the Empire uh, room scale experience, I guess it's called, right? And uh, this is going to be more of a home experience on the Oculus, and you got to experience it yourself? And w- what yeah. is this, by the way? Tell, tell us, what is Vader Immortal? Yeah, so Vader Immortal is a, it's like a combination video game uh, narrative thing that is takes place in virtual reality. And it's, it will debut with the Oculus Quest, which is a, a new headset coming from Oculus that is completely untethered. Uh, up until now, the Oculus headsets have had to be hooked up to some kind of console or computer. Uh, so you're wired and you're, you don't really have as much freedom to move around as you would uh, with an untethered system. So this, the headset itself is the system uh, and the controllers in your hands are wireless. And so you can move around freely in 360 degree space to interact with what's unfolding in front of your eyes in the headset of virtual reality. And so the the series itself uh, takes place after the events of Revenge of the Sith. Um, it, it takes place on Mustafar in Darth Vader's castle, where he is has been trying to recruit somebody to help him achieve some kind of task. And your character that you are playing is this smuggler who Darth Vader apparently finds out has the ability to help him achieve whatever he's trying to do. Um, and so in the in the VR experience, we got to um, check out two parts of it. The first part was a narrative part where you get an idea of what the story is uh, unfolding, where you have been brought into the castle uh, seemingly against your will. And there's this uh, kind of robotic imperial officer who has like half of a, a robot face and a robot arm talking to you in a very cocky way. He doesn't think you're going to be up to the task that uh, Vader needs you. And so then Vader comes in. And what's cool about this VR experience is standing in the presence of Darth Vader is intimidating as hell. Um, You don't really get a sense of his size when you see him in regular video games. And you do somewhat in the movies, but in VR, it's different because you're standing there and you have to, like, look up to meet his gaze. He he towers over you. He's a, a big, intimidating presence when he walks into the room. And so... Uh, it gives you this like little like holocron kind of cube that you have to to open. The the gameplay, at least in this part, it was just a simple thing where it it makes it sound like it's some kind of puzzle, but really you're just holding the cube in one hand and you have to push this like glowing button that's on it. Like anybody could have picked up this cube and realized, oh, I should probably push this and it'll open it. Um, so it's it, it's a setup for you being the one that Darth Vader has been looking for and he needs you to help him, you know, c- complete some kind of mysterious task. Um, and then the second part took place in this area that is called a lightsaber dojo, which is where you can do training and basically just play around with wielding a lightsaber in this 360 degree space. Uh, there's it has had three different waves, one where it had the floating uh, ball droid that shoots blasters at you from Star Wars A New Hope and you have to deflect the blasters. And then another part had these uh, these floating droids come up that have a like this glowing red blade that looks kind of like a lightsaber but doesn't seem to be exactly a lightsaber 
and you have to spar with it and deflect all of its blows and then slice it in half. And then the third wave, all of that happens at once. So you have to deflect lasers and also fight the robot and try not to, to get hit with the sword or the laser blast. And the lightsaber... Uh, effect is done incredibly well the the motion feels natural and smooth the controller hums in your hand so it feels like you're actually holding the lightsaber it feels so cool that like i just found myself like twirling it in my hand like taunting whatever was in front of me and just it really makes you feel cool uh within the the virtual reality space so it's, it's it was a really fun experience and i'd like to get a chance to try out try out more of it the narrative itself i guess is going to be 45 to 60 minutes and this is just the first part because it's it's episode one it's called and they will uh continue the the story with uh further installments well that's my big question to you because uh david s goyer is involved in this he's you know someone who has written a lot of screenplays he was involved in the dark knight series um and i feel like this is the first time that we're getting something from someone of that caliber behind the storytelling of the vr experience like do, uh, do you feel that no, you, I mean, you don't necessarily get a sense of like what the caliber of what the story is going to be, but it's clear that the story will be an integral part of it. Um, you know, it's 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 like playing a narrative video game where you were the main character and you're in the world by way of virtual reality. And so there, there's definitely a, a a canon story here that will that provides some insight into like the history of Mustafar and the culture that exists there and and what this place was before Darth Vader built his castle there. And then and what and whatever he's trying to accomplish based on the title, I'm assuming he's trying to do something that will make him more powerful or make him live forever or maybe something that even ties into bringing Padme back. Because there's been a lot of stuff actually uh, in the comics that that reference these these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what he was doing at the castle. So um, they did mention that there were some little things that like might come might come into play here from the comics and things that reference what's happening on Mustafar. And also with Palpatine returning in The Rise of Skywalker, maybe there'll be some kind of setup for explanation of how that's possible. It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, a possibility. Yeah. Okay, you can check out the trailer for that on SlashLum.com. I'll link it in the show notes. You also, you're a big uh, toy fan. You went to the Hasbro panel, and uh, you got to see what they were unveiling for the, the next year of Star Wars toys. So what are we getting? What's exciting? It is. Yeah, so first of all, uh, they didn't have any Episode Nine stuff. It's too early. Obviously, if Hasbro would have had that stuff before the title or trailer was released, it probably would have leaked beforehand. So no Episode Nine toys yet, um, but they, they do have the a new line of Black Series figures that are that's coming out in the coming months, uh, including the, a wave that has the Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi from Phantom Menace, which is an exclusive here in uh, Episode One packaging. But will be released as part of the main Black Series line. They also have a figure for uh, Ezra and Chopper from Rebels, and a, a trio of figures from the Doctor Afra comic, including Doctor Afra herself and her two uh, Black Droid companions. There's also a brand new Emperor Palpatine that's coming. Uh, it's much better than the one they released initially. Not only does the figure have uh, more cloth um, assets, the the bottom part of his cloak used to be just a rubber sculpt before. Now it's cloth, and since that gives him the ability to actually sit and not look goofy, they're including the Emperor's throne with the figure, as well as uh, Force Lightning accessories and two extra head sculpts. And he, he looks awesome. And then the, the Archive Collection is continuing. Uh, this is where they're bringing back figures that were previously released on the Black Series but have been retired. And uh, some of these have been given new head sculpts using the photoreal technology where they are 3D scanning actors' faces and uh, 3D printing them so that they actually look a lot more like the actors now. So we're getting a new Anakin Skywalker from Revenge of the Sith, uh, a new version of Darth Maul, uh, and then they're also bringing back Yoda and the Scout Trooper in the Archive Collection. And uh, some of the Archive Collection figures coming out this year are already available now. They did uh, Boba Fett and IG-88, and I think Dengar was the other one, maybe? No, that might not be right. Anyway, a trio of, um, of Bounty Hunters and then also Pilot Luke Skywalker. So and they're apparently they'll be releasing like a handful of these figures uh, each year as far, based on whatever uh, ones they want to bring out of retirement and give updates to. And then obviously with Galaxy's Edge coming out, there will be some exclusive figures from the Black Series that you can only get at Galaxy's Edge. Uh, we've already seen one three pack that has uh, Kylo Ren and a uh, a mouse droid, 
and the the Golden Stormtrooper uh, character from Star Wars Resistance. But there's also a pack coming that's tied to the droids. Uh, a new pack features new versions of 3PO, R2, and BB-8, and they're also being joined by Rex, the famous Star Tours droid, uh, who is known for DJing that ride. And then there's also a Smuggler's Run figure pack that comes with Rey, Chewbacca, some new Porgs, and Hondo Onaka. Well, the first time that he's getting a figure like this in the Black Series as well. And like I said, you'll only be able to get those uh, at Galaxy's Edge. So you'll either have to have a friend get them if you're not willing to brave the crazy lines <laughs> or probably have to buy them on eBay for a, a big markup. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Exci- I'm excited to finally get – well, I do have a Rex figure. They produced one Rex figure that was sold in Disney parks, but it's kind of crappy. So I'm hoping this one is a little bit better because I have a whole uh, droid shelf, which has tons of droids. So I'm always collecting those droids. Uh, speaking of Galaxy's Edge, you attended this presentation by Walt Disney Imagineering – Basically, basically, I guess it was kind of a primer explaining a lot of what we already knew about Galaxy's Edge. This is obviously the land that is coming to Disneyland, Disney World theme parks, and uh, it's opening later this year. Uh, what were what were some of the new things that we learned about in this presentation? Yeah, f- first let me say that I um, while the Galaxy's Edge panel was fun, I think that there wasn't tons of exciting new information here that we didn't already know. There were definitely some key things that were revealed here, but I felt I feel like I that they should have waited to reveal some things until yeah, this panel yeah. because because otherwise there wasn't like all the concept art we had already seen, most of the details on the the rides were already shown, there was no new footage from those rides. Um but like I said, there were some cool things um one thing that for me, I'm not like a big, uh, a huge theme park goer. Not that I don't like them, just because they're not near me, and I'm not, you know, always checking the theme park news. Yeah. But a lot of people seemed excited by this, which is a little bit weird to me. Um, apparently, people had been wondering exactly how theme park goers were going to be able to get soft drinks in Galaxy's Edge because the park uh, expansion itself is meant to take place in the Star Wars universe, so you don't see the normal things that you would otherwise see in theme parks. So, so, so everything's in world. They're serving blue milk. They're serving all these like galactic delicacies. Like the meat you're eating is like some kind of, you know, uh, alien meat. Yeah, yeah. Alien meat. So how are they going to serve Coca-Cola or whatever? Or like is Coke has deals with all the Disney parks. How are they going to sell them in these parks? And they unveiled this trailer basically establishing that they're going to be serve serving Coke in these parks uh, in in the other you know coke produced drinks but they're going to be served in these like what look to be I, I would describe as a combination of like a christmas ornament like you know the circular globe like christmas ornaments meets a grenade and actually what it is is actually if you look up what a thermal detonator looks like in the star wars universe that's what actually it is and they explain that basically the idea is that you're drinking this beverage out of a uh, reclaimed thermal de- detonator that you're buying it. Um, but it, 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 the, the Coke logo is written in Arabesh, which is the alien language across the Star Wars universe. Um, which... Yeah, Sprite, Sprite, Coca-Cola, and Diet Coke, all of Arabesh. And then there's they also have the uh, water, um, the the what's Coke's brand? Is it Dasani or is it Aquafina? I forget. I don't remember. But yeah, they have they have a water bottle that also has Arabesh on it, which the water bottle doesn't look like anything special. I, f- I don't know if they like just gave up. They're like, well, these are cool enough. We'll just do a regular water bottle with like a, a Star Wars kind of label on it. Well, the thing that worries me is I'm one of these people that, you know, when I go out to eat, like I, I appreciate when the waiter or waitress, you know, brings me like, you know, before I'm finished with my soda, brings me another cup because like I, I go through beverages Really quick, I drink a lot, and these, these, uh, the form function for these things seem very small to me. Yeah, they're really small, and I, so I, I wonder if maybe. And I'm like, assuming oh, because it's a theme park, it's going to be like five dollars for one of these. Right. Things. Well, and plus because it's such a custom kind of bottle, so like I wonder if uh, it would be cool if they had like some kind of fountain drink setup where it it looked <laughs> like it existed in the world, and you could fill up your bottle. With soda, maybe for like a they, they, they aren't going to allow that. Not at you all. No. <laughs> oh, and, and also disappointing to me because I like Coke Zero so much better than Diet Coke. They're not having Coke Zero in these things. But anyways, 
Uh, I'm not going to complain too much about that. I, I'm sure many people are not even interested in the news that there's Coca-Cola in Batu, but uh, there you go. They also talked about um, – well, they revealed Yoda is going to appear somewhere in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. They kind of uh, – they said that Frank Oz is reprising his role. They said that not everything will be seen, sometimes heard, which makes me think that, like, we're going to, like, Luke, hear the voices of past Jedi. Yeah, or, that's what I think, too. Or, I mean, they could do, like, a Force ghost kind of, like, you know, Yoda shows up in different areas kind of, like, as a almost holographic, like, translucent – thing but that'd be hard to do um what what else do we oh one of the other interesting things i think we learned here is the millennium falcon smugglers run experience this ride that you're actually going to pilot the millennium falcon you're actually going to be in control of this ride this is all stuff we know knew and we knew that like how you do on this ride might follow you throughout the land so if you crash the ship or you know you did damage the ship bounty hunters might be after you throughout the land and stuff like that but one thing we learned that was new is however you do on that ride, when you're exiting the Millennium Falcon through like the, you know, out out of the cockpit and through, you know, down to the ramp, like how that looks is going to be dependent on how well you did. So like it could look destroyed. It could look, you know. Not, not, well, I don't think that they'll be changing like the, the, the look of the hallway, but yeah. the, what will happen is there'll be like red lights will be flashing and like there'll be alarms going off and like it'll be clear that you just messed up your ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's kind of cool. That's a cool touch. Um, they also talked about this interactive app where uh, did you see that? Yeah. And it's uh, I think it's 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 an interesting way, I guess, to keep people active, especially since they will only have one ride that's there. It definitely creates this sense of yeah, at, at opening and then later this year. Right. Uh, right. And it, it definitely th- creates the sense of competition, I think, with uh, people who are in the park because it's it's kind of it's this ingress type game where you control different territories where there's like certain markers that you have to go and take over, kind of, kind of like a game of like territory. If you've ever played that in uh, Halo or Call of Duty, um, where you have to try and control certain areas, and it's a battle basically between the First Order and, and the Resistance and in, in holding down these various areas of the park. Yeah, uh, and you could read all about that. HT, I think, put together a nice write-up on all of that, and you could see screenshots of what the app looks like. The uh, thing to me was the uh, the Orabesh translator, where you can use your phone and point it at any given sign in the middle of Batu, and it uh, translates it for you. That's cool, and also you can in- intercept transmissions that are being you know transmitted by the Resistance or the First Order. There's a lot of cool things there. I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays when you're actually in the park. Um, and one, one, one other thing I'm actually very excited about is I, I own a lot of uh, merchandise from the Disney parks. And at Galaxy's Edge, all the merchandise is going to be, like, produced in-world. So you're not going to buy, like, Star Wars action figures. You're going to buy, like, a Stormtrooper doll kind of like um, Jin Erso had at the beginning of Rogue One. That kind of, like, handmade, like, you know, th- th- by a, sh- you know one of the shop owners in that world and on the show floor you got to see a lot of the new star wars galaxy's edge merchandise a preview of that what were the highlights in your mind yeah they've um they've been swapping out stuff pretty much every day here there's even some new stuff today that i'm gonna go and uh check it out and get some new photos uh to me the coolest thing was was how they were handling the toys that are coming from the tordarian toy maker shop like you said they'll have these uh, wooden dolls of Star Wars characters. They also have plush ones that look like they're more homemade rather than these professionally, uh, you know, made plush toys that you normally see in stores. It has this just ha- handcrafted quality to it that feels like people have heard legends about these characters and turned them into, you know, figures for their kids to play with and imagine them. Much in the same way that you see at the end of The Last Jedi where the kids are telling that story about Luke Skywalker and using these little makeshift figures to to represent them. Um, and then there's, you know, they had they had the cool creatures, and they have these um, awesome puzzles. They have a they have a Jedi holocron cube that looks like it will probably be like a Rubik's cube kind of thing, but it looks wooden and it's it's carved very ornately. Uh, they actually are going to sell chance cubes, like the ones that uh, you see in the Phantom Menace that have the the red and blue sides. Um, they have a wooden Dejeric board that comes with little alien figures and flip it over and you can just play regular checkers on it. 
Um, I wonder if there's going to be rules to that, to the Hollow Chess. Oh, and there's also, uh, uh, speaking of other, other games, there's a, there's a Sabak game that where the cards actually look a little bit worn, like they've been played you know, played with in the Star Wars universe, like from uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. See, that's cool because I bought Hasbro produced ones, and they were kind of cheap and, I don't know, not, not impressive. Some of the stuff I saw here that I thought was kind of impressive is they have, like, you know, when you are in the sun at a theme park, you, you want to be cooled down. They made a moisture, like, with the moisture... Uh, what do you call those? Uh, oh yeah, they made a, a a portable fan out of a moisture evaporator. Yeah, yeah, moisture evaporator. So it looks like those moisture evaporators that you saw in Tatooine, and it's a portable. Uh, I think probably uh sprays water and fans you at the same time, yeah. which is kind of fun. And I also saw some video. This isn't on the site, but uh, someone was there, and they sell um. In the, they have a creature shop where you can buy, like, I guess, adopt creatures from the galaxy far, far away. Creature stall, yeah, creature stall. Yes. And uh, someone was demoing the creature, the salacious crumb toy, which I guess it actually isn't salacious crumb. It's one of those kind of aliens. It's a, a Kowakian monkey lizard. Yeah, and and you put it on your shoulder, kind of like if you've seen, if anybody's seen the banshees from Pandora, the world of Avatar in Florida, or if you've ever been to a Ren fair where people wear like, you know, a dragon on your shoulder and it can like move and like talk and stuff. It's like that, but with salacious crumb or, you know, that creature that you just said. Um, and I think that's going to sell tons. Yeah, and it's uh, we don't have a vi- the video, but you can see what it looks like. One of them does look like Salacious Crumb does in Return of the Jedi, but the other one is much more colorful, almost like a like a parrot, like a macaw that's blue and yellow and stuff. Yeah, I want one of those frog-like creatures. I don't even know what those are called, but they're called uh, warts. W o r r t. The the ones that you see uh, that quickly eat something in front of Jabba's palace. Yeah, and they also had on display like a bunch of uh, costumes, like realistic. Yeah, not, not, yeah, not like cheap Halloween costumes, but like legit cosplay costumes where you can dress up like Rey or Kylo Ren or a Jedi uh, or an Imperial officer. Like they're gonna have a lot of cool, like legitimate wardrobe stuff that you can buy, and I'm sure it'll be very expensive. Yeah. And kind of like when you go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you can you know buy those how, the house gowns and stuff like that. You can yeah. buy like the Jedi robes. And what, what I think is interesting here, I'm not sure if you noticed this, Brad, but Jedi like all these outfits in Star Wars don't have pockets. So to accommodate the, you know, the real world of the real purpose that you'll need pockets, they built onto the belts accessories that you can actually like put on like a basically a a pocket. You can buy these extra pockets. I don't know. I just think it's funny that like they found I didn't see, I didn't see that. That's interesting though. Yeah. Another way for you to pay for things. <laughs> yes. More, more stuff to buy. Okay, we probably <laughs> talked long, uh, way too much about Galaxy's Edge. Let's move on to video games. Let's talk about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, the trailer is online. You can see that on the site. I'll link that in the show notes. What is the setup for this video game? So it is uh, a fantasy adventure game featuring a Jedi as the main character. Right out of the gate, Electronic Arts wanted to make sure people who didn't really like uh, what they did with Battlefront understood that this was not a game that was going to have multiplayer or microtransactions. Uh, they're going back to the, a, a narrative style that follows this Jedi Padawan who is on the run after surviving Order 66, which is the order that Palpatine sent out at the end of Revenge of the Sith where the clone troopers killed uh, almost all of the Jedi. Uh, so Cameron Monaghan, who is the actor who is now playing the Joker on Gotham, uh, is playing the the main character. Uh, his name is Cal Kestis, and he uh, he's on the run trying to stay hidden from Imperials. But he he ends up saving a friend while doing this dangerous construction job by using the Force and grabbing him from a, a fatal fall. And so then, uh, and by the now, way, I saw I saw this trailer and it looks so much different than any other Star Wars game I've ever seen. Like you're seeing like you know construction workers in the you know this galaxy like it like they're you know you're not seeing like fighting and warriors and stuff and it's, it's all about his struggle of like should i use my powers where people could possibly see it and well, you know, to, get to be, exposed to be fair this this is a story trailer rather than a gameplay trailer yeah, yeah. so that so that's that's to be expected because this they, they did definitely call this a an action melee game so the, there will be plenty of combat uh, and they emphasize that very much. They but, apparently but there's only like one second of a lightsaber in this entire trailer. 
Well, that's but again, that's because it's a story trailer. It's setting up who this character is and what's happening. But you, they, they, they show you these these new uh, purge troopers, which are technically not new because they were also part of the Force Unleashed. Even though that's now just a Star Wars legend, but now the purge troopers are canon again. They look a little bit different. They have uh, staffs that have electrified ends on them, kind of similar to the staffs that General Grievous's guards had in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and these, the purge troopers are basically the the first responders to whenever there are rumors that there's a Jedi that has that is somewhere that is surviving, and they go in to like try and confirm it before they call in the Inquisitorius. And the main villain here is the second sister of the Inquisitorius, uh, who is on Cal's tail. Uh, apparently, she's very strong with the Force, very clever. It, at the end of the trailer, you see her using the Force to take control of the stick um, shift on a ship and try and steer it while Cal is inside of it. Um, but yeah, this it, it, based on the trailer, it's a cool concept, cool setup. I'm I'm leery just because Electronic Arts hasn't really done the best when it comes to video games uh, based on Star Wars properties since Disney took over Lucasfilm. Battlefront was fun for a little bit, especially you know if you like first-person shooters, but uh, or third-person shooters, whatever you like. It's, but it was a little bit disappointing, especially with Battlefront 2 and the, the whole microtransaction fiasco and that kind of thing. So hopefully this gets back to doing a Star Wars video game that is actually has a cool story, do, um, does some exciting things, and really allows you to like use the full potential of you know being a Jedi on the run. Well said. Okay, we've been, we've gone 30 minutes, and people are probably here listening to hear about the Mandalorian. The panel was broadcast online, but we didn't see the footage online. Uh, but before we get to that, and you can tell us about the footage, uh, let's talk about The Mandalorian. This is the live-action TV series produced by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. It's coming to Disney Plus on November 12th, my birthday. Happy birthday to me. And uh, they basically came on stage and it did, did a lot of talking, didn't really reveal much at first. And then the floodgates opened. Okay, so let's... um. What is this show about? So the show is uh, set a, um, a while after the events of Return of the Jedi. Um, the yeah, I think first, he said five years or something. Yeah, the the uh, the First Order has not um, emerged yet. There are still remnants of the Empire around, uh, stormtroopers and whatnot. Uh, and we follow this bounty hunter who's called the Mandalorian. Uh, he doesn't have a character name. That is what how he is referred to. Uh, as he gets and he's played uh, some, by Pedro Pascal. Yes, Pedro Pascal of Game of Thrones and Narcos fame um, looks uh, like a sleek, metallic version of, of Boba Fett. Uh, very, very cool armor. Um, walks with a swagger, clearly a, a badass character. Uh, you can tell by the way people react to him that he has a reputation. Uh, and in in the um, the setup is basically he gets this dangerous job. Uh, and follows up on it, and it turns out to be a little bit different than he anticipated. We haven't officially heard um, why that is. There have been rumblings about it online. Uh, which do we want to talk about that, or do we just want to? You know, people- we'll skip that. I, I can link it in the show notes. We've written about it on the site, so if you want to know what kind of like the, the pitch of this, I, I'm assuming this is going to be first episode things, but they didn't show it at this panel, so I yeah, feel so, like that's not. But the, yeah, but the, the main gist is that he takes on some kind of job that is a little bit more dangerous uh, and secretive than the jobs that he usually takes. But he's looking for something that pays a good price, um, and so he's he's up to the challenge. Very cool. Okay, so let's talk about the other characters that are going to be in this. We know about the Mandalorian. There is um, uh, Gina Carano is playing Cara Dune. Yeah, she is another badass character appears to be um she uh, a or not appears to be gina carano confirmed that she's an ex-rebel shock trooper um and so she is clearly a badass she has armor of her own carries around these big guns and in the footage we see her uh, getting into a scuffle with the mandalorian easily holding her own uh wrestling with each other and until they each like land flat on their back and both have guns pointed at each other's head uh so it looks like a cool possible companion for the mandalorian maybe a little bit of an adversarial uh, friendship, which we're used to seeing in, in Westerns uh, and samurai movies, which were the large inspiration uh, for the tone of the Mandalorian and the, the style of it. 
let's talk about grief. This is the character played by Carl Weathers. Uh, it seems like we're seeing the last few days a lot of older African American actors re-entering the the Star Wars universe with uh, with uh, Billy D. Williams now Carl Weathers. Yeah, Carl Weathers in The Mandalorian uh, plays a new character named Grief. Uh, he's the commander of a team of bounty hunters. He's he's the guy who basically gives them their jobs uh, and ov- oversees um, how they how they go, making sure that they get paid or have new jobs to take. Uh, and he it's having this character played by Carl Weathers is is very cool as as this you know um, no weathered no pun intended uh, <laughs> feel to the character a little bit of a it's kind of a grisly experienced guy who uh, clearly does you know doesn't. Uh, take any guff on his own. Yeah. And uh, one of the cool things they've revealed during this is they, they, you know, this show, even though it's a high budget, I think it's been rumored that it's like $10 million an episode or something, but uh, they, they said they needed like some scenes with a lot of stormtroopers. So they actually, instead of uh, building the costumes and hiring the actors, they actually invited the 501st. This is the fan organization that creates their own uh, cosplay and actually does a lot of, um, charity events and like you know for panels and and stuff uh lucasfilm has actually involved them in in the past they actually involved them in the shooting of uh multiple episodes and there's like some photos that are in the show notes or i'll link to in the show notes there's also they talked about the razor razor crest this is a ship that is in this series is this the mandalorian ship i'm assuming yeah this is the mandalorian ship and uh interestingly i'm sure I'm not sure we'll see this when we actually see the show, but they they talked about it during this panel that they actually created the ship practically as a miniature, kind of like they did back in, you know, the original trilogy days. And they shot they shot the ship as a miniature against, you know, green screen or whatever and uh, are superimposing it against stars and stuff like that. And we, we saw some footage of that. That's all really cool that they're doing that. I'm I'm wondering if if it's going to be noticeable at all compared to like you know CG ship or not. But uh, I I am all for them returning to old school techniques. Uh, what else did we learn during the panel before we talked about the footage? Uh, what else did we learn during the panel? Actually, <laughs> um, I guess maybe that they're fleshing out the canon of the Mandalorians. That, you know, we don't really know much about what, what was going on with them since the, you know, we, we heard there's some coverage of them in the prequels and in the um, Clone Wars, Clone Wars, uh, the animated series. But we, we so this this series is going to really flesh out what's going on with the Mandalorian uh, in the original trilogy timeline and, you know, making its way into the sequel trilogy, which is kind of cool. Uh, at the panel, they showed two different bits of footage. And neither of which were broadcast online. Although, if you want to search on YouTube, you could maybe find a cam version. Yeah, because they, yeah, they, John Favreau made the mistake of not telling the crowd before the first bit of footage played that no one was supposed to record. So, tons of people were were recording as soon as it started, but there was already, but security that was already in place out in the thing was like trying to stop. They're like, hey, no recording, no recording. <laughs> and so af- afterwards, John Trevor was said, just so you guys know, you weren't supposed to record that. But like Peter said, you can you can find it out there. But there, there is a big chunk of footage that has not ended up online, um, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. Okay, let's talk about this first thing, the sizzle reel. I have seen this, even though I'm not in Chicago. I somehow traveled to Chicago for a couple of minutes and saw it. And I... I don't know. It, it looks cool. It looks like this is kind of a Western. Like, it looks more Western than any of the Star Wars films thus far. Yeah, the, the, the tone of it definitely is much more Western. I mean, the, the original Star Wars um, and Rogue One, to an extent, ha- do have the feel simply because of it, it has that, that worn style where everything is a little bit dusty and dirty. And clearly, the you know, the technology maybe isn't the, the newest. And uh, this has that same vibe. The, a lot of the scenes that we saw were set in kind of like a uh, small town village setting similar to what we've seen on Tatooine and Jakku um, where that's not necessarily meaning that we're seeing scenes that are taking place on these planets, but just the, the desert environment was, was very similar and uh, like a sci-fi Western would be. Um, and the Ma- the Mandalorian himself, you know, walks with a very intimidating swagger, has a confidence is always on his guard, looking around, never really trusting anybody. And the, the we see that in the footage here. The, the first chunk of footage they showed 
was merely him tracking somebody by way of this little device that he had that was guiding him to uh, whatever his bounty was. And the the rest of it was mostly just a collection of behind the scenes footage, lots of lots of quick shots um, of people working on set, directors with talking heads, concept art, uh, quick action shots, um, lots of different aliens, droids, uh, new bounty hunters, uh, th- things like that. Just just a wild, fast assembly of shots. So much that it was hard to pick up pick up on everything. Yeah, there's even uh, a droid. Uh, I, I mean, IG88, or maybe this is another IG. I don't even know. I yeah, we're, they, there's a chance it could be another IG, but it seems like it's probably IG88. Um, and that that actually came in the the second round of footage. Oh, okay. Um, is there anything more you had to say about that first round of footage? Because it's a, such a montage of like showing how the stuff is being produced. It like it had a bunch of quotes from the directors. Yeah, the first footage was really more of just like a setup of like in- introducing people to what the Mandalorian was going to be, what they were trying to accomplish, the, the very basic gist of the story, uh, the the directors, the various directors that we've heard who are working on it, what they're bringing to the table, and ju- just a very general idea of what the series will be. Yeah, and it, I mean, the the one thing I can say from everything that they showed is everything looks so Star Wars, like so original trilogy Star Wars. Uh, like it really, I don't know. I, I'm so excited for this. Like it, not, not that I'm not excited for the Rise of Skywalker, but this really feels like it's my jam. No, I was absolutely uh, floored by this footage because uh, it's not that I wasn't excited about the Mandalorian, but I was cautiously optimistic simply because you're taking something that has such a large blockbuster scope and trying to turn it into a TV series. And sometimes when you take a big property like that and bring it down to a small screen scale, uh, it cheapens it literally and figuratively. Um, you know, take for example, like you look at a show like Marvel's Agents of Shield, or, or even the, the Netflix shows, which spent more money but still didn't always feel cinematic. This feels cinematic as hell. It it looks gorgeous. Uh, it looks like it has a real budget. It it doesn't feel like a cheap TV show version of Star Wars. It it legit fits in with the the vibe and style of the the original trilogy and and also Rogue One, uh, simply because of the era in which it's set. Okay, let's talk about the next bit of footage. This is footage that I don't think you can find online at this point. You you got to see a scene from the show? Basically two scenes um, that were linked together. So the, um, so the first scene um, has the Mandalorian sitting down with Carl Weathers' character, Grief. He's laying out these little metal discs. They kind of look like jar lids. Uh, and as he's laying them out, he's saying, bail jumper, bail jumper. Uh, he's, like, he's like, they're all bail jumpers. He's like, I got one wanted smuggler. He's laying them out like they're jobs. Uh, they're they're called pucks. They have the information on them that the Mandalorian needs in order to pursue their targets. Um, and he wants to take them all. But since Grief is in charge of a whole guild of bounty hunters, he has to be able to give them jobs, too. So he's not willing to give them all up. Um, the Mandalorian asks what the highest one he has. It's only 5,000 credits, so he's not very impressed. But then Grief says, he's like, well, I do have this one other job. Uh, he's um, it's he held it back for a reason because it sounds dangerous. They, they don't even have a puck for this job. It's a direct commission that he has to meet the person who's hiring him face to face. And it's a it's a request that's coming from the underworld. So this is definitely a dark, seedy job. OK. And that is the end of that scene. It sounds yes. pretty cool. I wish I could see this. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait until my birthday. Uh, what is the next scene we see? So that so uh, linking the two scenes, the Mandalorian uh, kind of walks through the the streets of this this village. Like like I said, looks like Jakku or Tatooine. Um, feels it, very. It, is this village the one that we've seen in the set photos? It seems it, it would seem to be yes. It it's, uh, has the same desert vibe. A lot of a lot of tents, a lot of dusty dusty clothes, things like that. And so he's he's walking to where this this person is. He's he's been given a data card to find them, and he gets to this door and knocks on it. And uh, this little, like, droid arm eye comes out, similar to um, the one that comes out of Jabba's palace door and talks to 3PO and R2. Uh, And so scans the card, lets him in. He's met by this very hospitable gonk droid. Um, And so he's gonking away as he's walking him back to this other door. And as he goes in there, there's a group of uh, dusty stormtroopers who are standing in there with blasters. And Werner Herzog shows up. Um, didn't catch his character name. I, I, I thought that maybe Grief said it uh, during their meeting, but it was hard to catch. Um, but this character is just the perfect character for Werner Herzog. This very ominous, uh, you know, person. The way he speaks with such such purpose, and it's intimidating without trying. 
Um, and so he talks to the Mandalorian, uh, tells him he's been expecting them. Uh, suddenly, another door opens nearby, and like the Mandalorian just immediately jumps up with his blasters drawn, and the stormtroopers all draw at him too. And it's just this Imperial officer um, who's played by uh, Omid Tahi. Um, and so he comes in and he's like, he's a very apologetic. He's like, I'm sorry. It's like, what didn't mean to, you know, startle you or anything like that. And in the perfect, like Werner Herzog way, he just very politely says, please excuse his lack of decorum. His enthusiasm outweighs his discretion. <laughs> um, I, I can totally hear that in my brain right now. Yeah. Um, I won't even try to do a Werner Herzog impression. It'll just be depressing. Yeah. Um, so the so the Mandalorian still has his blaster drawn. Doesn't trust anybody, uh, and so he um, he tries to get the stormtroopers to uh, lower their blasters, and he's like, after they do, uh, and then the stormtroopers says, he's like, we have you outnumbered four to one, and he says, I like those odds, and so everyone finally puts their their guns away. They get back to business talk, and talking about uh, what this this job is. Um, and basically it's somebody that they want alive, which is not usual for a, a bounty hunter. Um, but the, uh, Werner Herzog says if they have to, they'll accept this person dead, uh, but it'll be for a smaller fee. And the Imperial officer isn't necessarily too keen on that for whatever reason. You don't necessarily know why, but Herzog's character knows that this job is complicated. So well, they'll take whatever they can get, basically. Again, there's no puck for this job. What he gives them is this tracker that apparently has the last known whereabouts of this person. And they also have the last four digits of their identification number. Um, is this the same tracker we saw in the other footage? It okay. is. It is the same tracker from the first footage that was beeping and that what that he was following. Um, and f from what I understood, I believe that they were saying that this target is 50 years old. Uh, because they're old for some reason, it's been difficult to find this person. I'm not necessarily sure what that means, but with the information he's providing, Herzog is confident that the Mandalorian can pull it off. And the price, uh, he, as he, he unwraps from this small cloth, uh, is a piece of Beskar, which is Mandalorian iron, something that is very valuable and, and rare and that the Mandalorian uh, people would want back. And uh, Herzog even says in kind of a taunting way, uh, says that it would be good to restore order uh, to things after a period of such disarray. Uh, so it seems like there's some kind of hint that they that maybe he would prefer to see the Mandalorians kind of come back to power and achieve their old glory, or he's just trying to uh, use that to taunt the Mandalorian into, into taking the job so that you know he'll do what he needs him to do. Yeah, that so, this this scene sounds awesome. Everything about it, everything you're it, saying yeah. sounds awesome. No, this, it, it was so cool. There's, there's just the tone of it, the style, and just the having you know Werner Herzog and Carl Weathers these roles. The Mandalorian himself is just so cool. Just the, the physicality of it, simply because we don't see his face or anything, and it's you get this vibe of that he's he's always looking around and never trusting the room and always prepared to like survive at any given point, no matter what is thrown at him. Uh, it's it's a very cool character. Um, and so then after that, they they showed what it was what will amount to, I assume, is probably the first teaser trailer they'll show whenever they get around to it. Uh, and so it's a lot, lots of quick shots. You see uh, Mandalorian's Razor Crest ship blasting through space. It's actually the exact shot that they showed us how they made it with the, the models and the small camera rigs. Um, we meet Gina Carano's character, Cara Dune, and the Mandalorian asks, what's her business here? They end up getting into a spar and trading blows, drawing each, guns at each other. We see Giancarlo Esposito for the first time. Uh, he's wearing a black cape with black imperial armor, no helmet. He's surrounded by a small group of death troopers, uh, and they've just blasted away a bunch of holes in, in one of the small desert dwellings, um, like, like one of the, the buildings, basically. And you hear Werner Herzog in voiceover saying the Empire has improved every planet it touches. Uh, and Giancarlo Esposito's character then says, burn them out. And this stormtrooper that has red paint uh, accents on his helmet uh, and his armor comes in with this huge flamethrower and just starts torching it. And by uh, huge flamethrower, that flame is going like 20 feet or something. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah he is like he's standing far away and he is he is blasting it with a huge stream of fire. Uh, and then the voiceover continues, says, judge by any metric, safety, prosperity, peace. And you see a bunch of shots of uh, different bounty hunters, different aliens. Um, I'm not sure if this is a team of bounty hunters that is uh, in conflict with the Mandalorian or maybe friends with the Mandalorian in the way that bounty hunters are. Uh, you see this kind of fuchsia-colored Twi'lek uh, who looks to be a little bit feisty. 
uh, you see what looks to be Bill Burr, comedian Bill Burr, as a bounty hunter holding two blaster pistols and blasting away at an unseen target. Uh, another character that lo- looks kind of like the bounty hunter Forlom from Empire Strikes Back, a, a droid with these like metallic uh, eyes, but it wasn't Forlom, but it looked similar. Uh, lots of shots of aliens, other warriors, Jawas drawing their blasters, the Mandalorian uh, fighting with stormtroopers. Uh, an incredible shot that elicited cheers was IG-88 standing in the middle of like a village square and blasting stormtroopers, his body spinning around as he's shooting them. Uh, the Mandalorian fighting style is badass. Um, he uses his longer rifle, which is something that Boba Fett carried in his first debut in animated form in the in the Christmas special, where it's not only a blaster, but it has these prongs on the end of it that electrocute, and he uses that to electrocute a stormtrooper. You see Giancarlo Esposito flying a TIE fighter. Um, the Mandalorian t- has takes one crushing blow to a stormtrooper with, I think, is the butt of his rifle, and the bottom half of the stormtrooper's helmet like crumbles into pieces, like he cracks it, like it's like it's made of porcelain. Um, it's just the the action here looks it looks amazing. It's just I, I was way more impressed with this footage than I thought I would be, and I, I cannot wait to see this show. Yeah, it looks so good. I'm I'm bummed that this footage isn't officially online for everybody to see. But again, if you do some searching on Reddit or YouTube, I'm sure you could probably find a cam footage of it. Not that I recommend you do so, uh, but I'm, I'm assuming you could. Uh, okay, so this comes out November 12th. It's going to be day one on Disney Plus streaming service. So excited. Uh, you are still at Star Wars Celebration. What What are your plans for the, the rest of the, the con? Uh, so they, they're going to release some more of the Galaxy's Edge merch that will be on sale there. So I'm going to snap some more pictures of that. The um, the remaining big panel is the 20th anniversary celebration of The Phantom Menace that's happening on Monday. So I'll be checking that out, seeing if there's any cool uh, stories or, or anything that com- comes out of that panel. Yeah, I wonder uh, if uh, Palpatine will be there. He Well, he's definitely a confirmed guest. And I think that, that when they confirmed him, it was supposed to be just for The Phantom Menace panel. So him appearing at Episode Nine was a a surprise yeah so he's yeah. De- he'll definitely be at the phantom menace panel i'm sure jj will not allow him to say anything but it'll be interesting to see what he does say yeah absolutely. if anything <laughs> if anything brad where can people find more of your work online uh slash film.com check out uh, some of the stuff that i've been doing from star wars celebration here and uh, everything else about movie and tv news there check me out on twitter at ethan underscore anderton see some of the silly star wars stuff that i bought and then also check out my own podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, if you need a break and just want to listen to some ridiculous movie trivia wisecracking nonsense. You can find me at Slash Home on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday at least and uh, is on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you maybe not tomorrow, but at least the next day. <laughs> <laughs>